everybody. Welcome to the New Market Alliance Church Podcast. For more information on the vision, programs, and news of our church, be sure to check us out at www.newmarketalliance.ca. We'd like to encourage you as well that no podcast, no matter how good, can substitute for the experience of joining together in person at a worship celebration. That's where God really meets people, often through the love and ministry of others. At NAC, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. Now let's join this week's teaching. So thankful for the, the prayer, I'll call them prayer warriors in our midst, people who, who pray for our church regularly. Think of Peggy, who some of you may not even know, but she is praying for you. And she, uh, she walks around her house. She's made like a, a, a track almost. If you, this is a reference people won't all know, but like, remember in the Flintstones when Fred would walk, you know, back and forth and he'd carve like a, a trench? That's what Peggy's doing. She's carving a trench on her, right inside her home, and she's praying for us daily, and she's praying for me. And think of the group that meets on Friday mornings early at uh, 7 which you are all invited to at the, uh, right here at the church in the boardroom. There's a group that prays at 9 o'clock um, for our service every Sunday, and you're welcome to come to that. You're invited. We'd love if you would come. Um, there's a prayer team, of course, that meets um, after the service um, to pray for you and pray for your healing or pray for what you're going through this week, all kinds of of prayer is happening that I don't even know about and I'm grateful for. Um, people who love their church, people who uh, get on their knees as they pray. And so that's exactly where we find ourselves in Ephesians today. Paul is on his knees and he's praying for his church. He's the founding pastor uh, and he loved those people and he couldn't be with them. The church was in Ephesus and he was in prison, probably in Rome, because he kept talking about Jesus. You know, I have not been there, but it's on my bucket list to get there. Um, but what I understand from others who have visited, and, uh, and supposedly this is where Paul uh, was in a jail cell, it's basically a hole in the ground. Now, this is a picture today of, of what some believe was Paul's prison. And Roman prisons were not a place where you just sort of are held waiting for a trial. For many, they were considered a death sentence. Um, there's basically grates and multiple men uh, layered in, in holes and cells, stacked. No bathrooms, no running water. If you wanted food, you better have somebody on the outside who's going to lower it down to you. No kidding. And um, no light. And the further you are in the hole, uh, the worse... It is for you because of the obvious, anything that happens above you falls below you. Is that clear enough? I don't need to unpack that, right? Okay, good. Uh, it seems this is exactly where Paul finds himself. He's somewhere down in a hole. It's dark and it's cold and it's dirty and it's cramped and his body is broken. He's a man who's been beaten, uh, shipwrecked, homeless left for dead. You can, you can look at a story, as, as, at his story, as really one of, of miraculous survival that he's even alive. Uh, he says that he bears the marks on his body for Jesus. There was one time where this mob attacked him 
uh, threw him outside the city thinking he was dead. And then he was either unconscious or God brought him back to life. And he got back up and went back in the city and started preaching again. I mean, that's straight up gangster. That's Paul. And so we get into this section, I am strong, in Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. So if you have your Bible, turn to that, and we'll also put it up on the screen. But based on the circumstances, you may be thinking, I am strong. What? Are, are you, did you get the title wrong? This is actually a prayer. It's a prayer from Paul in jail that he is writing and sending to his church. Do you know a lot of Ephesians, this letter, is actually prayer? Roughly half the book is prayer, prayer requests, prayer reports. They're woven through the entire letter, and it shows once again that there's no such thing as a faithful Christian church without praying Christian people. Prayer is what sustains the forward forward progress, uh, the health, the growth, the life of the church. And so Paul is praying all the time for the church. And I want you to know that your leaders are praying for you. And I'd unapologetically ask that you would pray for us, that you would pray for the church. I'd ask you not out of guilt, but out of gladness to be praying for Knack. And so I want you to see how Paul prays for his church. And I even got an acronym for you, P-R-A-Y-E-R, Oh, you pastors and your acronyms. Yeah, well, joke's on you because you might actually remember it. And he teaches us that prayer is, first of all, P, personal. Here's what he says in Ephesians 3.14. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray. Kneeling in prayer. Uh, you You think about that. It's really an act of surrender, isn't it? Like, what happens in war? If you surrender... You get down on your knees. Or let's say you're a criminal who's been caught in the act. You get down on your knees. It's an act of of surrender. It's an act of humility. It shows the disposition of the heart through the posture of the body. But, But listen, you can pray sitting down. You could pray standing up. You could pray walking. You can pray lying down. Might I submit to you, though, it might be good sometimes for us to get down on our knees in this humble position of surrender and pray. That's what Paul is doing here. Now, can I just tell you a couple things about prayer? And for some of you, this is going to be like, no, duh. But for some of you, this may actually be brand new. Do you know a prayer can be silent because God knows your thoughts? It can be out loud because you're just straight up talking to God. It can be all alone by yourself. It can be in a group with other people. Prayer can include journaling as you're, as you're thinking it out. I think you can sing your prayers. I know for people like my wife, song can be like a language of prayer for her. And, and God loves all of those and he welcomes all of those. Um, and every time we pray to God, he always answers our prayer. Now, some of you are like, Mm, yeah, I prayed and God did not answer my prayer. Yes, he did. Uh, sounds like you may not have liked the answer. Um, sometimes God answers yes. Sometimes God answers no. Sometimes God answers prayer like later. 
or wait? Those are his three answers. But God hears and answers every prayer. I think, I think prayer is primarily to change us. I, I don't think it's always necessarily to get God to do something. I know that's disappointing to many of us, but it's not like God is in heaven and resistant, and if we yell at him loud enough, then he'll do it. Look, you don't need to coerce God to be good, okay? Sometimes prayer is us talking to God so that our will aligns with God's will so so that we're the one who changes. This is why God sometimes tells us in the Bible to pray for our enemies so that our hearts won't get embittered toward them. The prayer there is not necessarily to change our enemy, but it's certainly to change our attitude toward our enemy. How, How many of you, there's something you really, really wanted, you started praying, and then you were like, oh, God's changing my heart. Um, I was hoping that wouldn't happen. I was hoping he would just give me what I wanted, but instead he's changing me. He's changing what I want. That happened to anybody? Yeah. Uh, and sometimes prayer just changes us. And sometimes in prayer, God does act. He, he will hear and in love, he will respond. And I'll tell you some other things that prayer does. It keeps us from grumbling and gossiping. Grumbling is when we're unhappy and we're sort of like just leaking it out. We're talking about it. I've certainly been guilty of this. And Paul here has a lot he could be grumbling about. I'm in jail again and there's two guys above me. He's not grumbling though. Instead, he's praying. He's praying. And I'm not talking about even pretending that everything's fine and you're not struggling, you're not hurting. I'm actually saying be honest. Be honest with him because God can handle it, okay? And once you've worked it out with God, maybe then you can talk to other people about it. That's what's happening here. Paul's working it out with the Lord. And then he writes this letter to his church. He allows others to get a window into where his heart is at after he's prayed it to the Lord. So who do you talk to first? Who do you call first? What's your first instinct? Is it to, I need to text this person or call them or email them? Make sure it's always the Lord. Um, The first person we gotta talk to is the Lord. So um, his second point is that prayer is our relational. Verses 14 and 15, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. Now, all throughout, he's going to talk about God as Father. He's going to talk about us as sons and daughters. He's going to use words like adoption. And all of these are, are familial terms. So it's good to remind ourselves that church is supposed to be like a family more than a business, right? Now, yes, um, family has Revenue and family has expenses and family has business to do, and Max certainly has all of that. But how many of you like <clears throat> pray for your grocery store every day? Like, Lord, thank you for no frills. I thank you for the vegetable and fruit section and the frozen foods and the guy who puts the carts away. And I pray that the staff would be unified in mission and in vision in bringing us tasty s- snacks. Um, you don't 
pray for your grocery store, right? Because it's a business. Well, churches in the business is actually supposed to be a family, and you pray for your family. Be praying for our family. Be praying that more people would join our family. Now, I'll tell you this, because if you pray for your church, you'll see the church as a family. And if you don't pray for your church, you'll start to see it as a business. And what happens in a consumer relationship, a transactional relationship, is you're always trying to get the most by giving the least. That's business, right? Family's not like that. Family is you give generously so that the whole family would be blessed. So part of, part of the family's, um, part of our family is up with the Lord. And part of the family is down here on the earth. And one day there's going to be this great family reunion in the kingdom of God where all of his people are together forever. It's going to be a great day. It's a family and it's held together, Paul says, by the Father. And if you understand that God is your Father, prayer gets a lot easier. Um, if you don't understand that God is your Father, prayer becomes difficult in a way that it, quite frankly, shouldn't. So maybe instead of focusing too much on prayer, and what I mean by that is getting tripped up on the specific words or the, or the process, how about this instead? Get to know your dad. Get to know your father. If you get to know your dad and you're talking to him, it, it's pretty easy. You're not going to worry about like, uh, putting together an outline and practicing the points. We'll just be like, hey, dad, can we talk? God's a father who loves his kids. And this is a revolutionary concept. For those who are Christian, our identity now is that he is a father and we're his sons and daughters, and the result is that Jesus even encourages us to talk to God and actually use words like dad, daddy, Abba. You know, my, my kids call my dad Papa. And uh, what, uh, Dagmar, what do they call your grandkids call you? Bubby. And the, my kids used to call me Daddy, and now they call me Dad. You know what they don't call me? Uh, Reverend Jonathan K. Ganyu. That'd be weird, right? Um, so if you want to really understand prayer, you might want to look less at the theologians and more at kids who really love their dad and have a dad who really loves them and see how they interact and communicate. Amen? Now, for some of you, uh, you're going to struggle with this because you had a lousy dad. And some of you didn't have a dad. And what I don't want to do and what is hard not to do is throw all that wounding onto God. Um, start with what the Bible reveals about the Father and then judge your earthly father by your heavenly father. So for all us men, should God give us the great gift of being a father, know that we carry a very sacred name very sacred title of Father. And if we love and honor and cherish and bless and nurture and protect and enjoy those kids, they're, they're getting just a little reflection of the Father's affection. And if we are abusive and negligent and selfish 
and distracted fathers and angry fathers were really kind of blaspheming a sacred title called Father. So as you get to know the Father, prayer just sort of happens more easily, okay? So, so prayer is relational. In addition, he goes on to say that prayer is A, asking. It's asking. And Paul goes to make a request. So it says here in verses 16 to 17, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. So let me just state the obvious. God is independent. He doesn't need anyone or anything. We are dependent. We need God for everything. And so here's the big idea. God doesn't need you. He wants you. He loves you. Isn't that even better? Like, it's like a family that adopts a child. They want the child. They chose the child. God is a dad like that. So God isn't, God isn't looking to take from us. He's actually looking to give to us because we are in need. And so we bring our requests to God. God, um, we ask you for help. And Jesus says, that's why we pray for our daily bread. Here Paul's praying for his people, that they would have the power of the Holy Spirit working in them and through them. And he talks about Christ making his home in your heart. I love that. How many of you, when you were a kid, if you've been raised in the church, somebody said to you, you need to accept Jesus into your heart. Anybody ever hear that sort of language? Of course you have. One time, one time in the whole Bible, that's ever said, and it's right here. That's it, uh, accepting Jesus into your heart. Some, some Bible versions say that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. Now, you may be reading this and you're thinking, well, hold on, I thought Paul was writing to Christians, and now he's asking that Jesus would make a home in their heart. What gives? Listen, there's a big difference between a hotel and a home, right? Isn't there? How many of you have checked into the Holiday Inn and thought, I need to get to the Home Depot because i got to paint this wall and change the light fixtures, and the sink is dripping, so I'm going to have to get some tools and fix that. And while I'm out, maybe I'll rent one of those steam cleaners for the carpet. Never done that, right? Not once. Now, because you're not going to stay there. It's not your home. What happens when you buy a home? For those of you who've ever bought a home or a condo, whatever it is, you buy it, what do you do? You start working on it, right? And you notice that, you keep working on it. We're, we're going to paint this room. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, now that makes the hallway look ugly. We're going to paint the hallway. And now the cabinets sort of look terrible. We're going to have to replace those. How many of you know that once you start, you'll never stop until Jesus comes back? <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely true. That's because it's going to be your home. And, and what he's praying here is that the people would understand that Jesus does not want to live in us like a hotel. He doesn't want to just sort of check in and be with you for the weekend 
and then move on. He doesn't want you to live your life independently of him and then just sort of call him up on Sundays. You know, hey, Jesus, I really made a mess. Could you hang out with me for a day or two and sort of clean up the mess I made? And then, you know, we can kind of get on with our lives and go our separate ways. Christ dwells in us through the person and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And God wants our life to be his home. Jesus wants to move into your life, and he's going to start working on it. Now, he may pick an area of your life to work on first, and then when he's done with that, he's going to move to another proverbial room and and work on another project. Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is doing a renovation project in your whole heart. How many of you are in the trades? Carpentry, plumber, uh, bricklayer, roofer? Just let me see those hands again, yeah. Um, I want you, whenever you're working on a project, I want you to remember this verse. And remember that Jesus wants me to do the same, Jesus wants to do the same thing in my life that I am doing in this house. He, he wants to make it a better home for the Holy Spirit. So, so prayer is personal, it's relational, it's asking. It's also why yearning. And prayer gets kind of emotional. Verses 17 to 19, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. There's our word. Turn to somebody and say, hello, I'm strong. Go ahead. Come on. By the way, if you hate this part of the sermon, I would too, but... I've got the mic, so what are you going to do? It goes on to say, many, or, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. He's talking about the love of God for his people. So, yes, study uh, the commentaries. Do word studies. It's great to, to look at what the theologians have to say, but there's a place where it goes beyond just knowledge, and you just have to experience it. You just have to enjoy the love of God. You know, I've been married to Vicki now. It'll be 24 years in June, if you can believe it. Yeah. We were married when we were 14, so just, and when we first got married, I knew that she loves me, and now I know that she loves me because I've experienced it over and over and over. God wants you to experience his love, and for some of you, this means you need to sing, you need to pray, you need to raise your voice, you need to raise your hands, you need to get a little emotional, okay? I know we're Canadians. I know unless it's a Leafs game, it's kind of like we're polite. We want to sit on our hands. I get it. It's why we need to have sometime the Spanish church come here and lead lead the service because, man, they'll show up with a bucket of joy and really get this party started. I'm telling you. But, but you need to know that part of the Christian life is really a demonstration, an affection, an overflow. I, I would have been so bummed out if, if when my kids were little, if I'd come in the front door and they would have been like, 
Hello, Father. Uh, the Greek word for hello is whatever. Um, <laughs> I would have been bummed by that. But it was like kids running, Daddy's home, look what I made, tickle me, swing me around, we missed you. That's, it's why Jesus says that we could learn a lot about worship from watching children. I could tell there was love because there was enthusiasm and there was joy. And it wasn't manufactured. It wasn't mom standing behind them. It was like, all right, go be nice to your dad and you'll get ice cream. You know, it wasn't like that at all. God wants us to know of his love in a way, he says, too great to understand. Or, or some translations say, in a way that surpasses knowledge. And this doesn't mean that it's contrary to truth, but rather... It's the truth of Scripture just exploding in the heart of a child of God. It's joy. I, I, wonder if, I wonder if we subconsciously wish, like, I don't want to be filled with all the fullness of God because what if I get too emotional? What if I, what if I get out of control? What if I turn into one of those people who starts getting happy and is singing in the car? Please do. Please do. Do you know the love of God in Christ this morning? Um, if you do, there's a, there's a yearning to experience it, to feel it, to know it, to enjoy it. So Jesus, Jesus loves you. Now, when I say that to you, how does that sound? Like, do you doubt it this morning because you're suffering? Do you disbelieve it because you're sinning? Um, do you disregard it because it sort of sounds trite? Like, yeah, that's what little kids sing. Do you dismiss it because you're busy? Would you receive it this morning? Jesus loves you. And I'm not sure if you have a little or a lot of people who love you, but there's no one who loves you like Jesus. And there's nothing as important as knowing that Jesus loves you. God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. No greater love is there than this, that someone would lay down their life for a friend. The Bible connects the cross of Jesus to the love of God. And the love of God has never been more um, clearly visible on earth than in the sacrifice of Jesus to, to make enemies friends, to adopt wayward kids into the family of God. How wide, how long, how deep is the love of God? And, and it all culminates in the cross of Jesus. Prayer is also E, expecting, it's anticipating that God is going to hear, that he's going to answer. Verse 20, now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Infinitely more. Will you say that with me? Infinitely more. Some of you are like, oh, I've got a big idea. It ain't that big. Oh, I have a huge dream. It ain't that huge. Not in God's economy. So we pray expecting whatever, whatever you can ask for, God can do infinitely more. Uh, not just a little bit more, but infinitely more. This is an invitation to pray. This is an invitation to ask because the Father is, it, I mean, isn't it kind of convenient? 
that the one who asks us to pray happens to be our Father. It's all who you know, right? It's amazing to think that there's a God out there who can do far more than what we even can ask or imagine. And then to know that he's our dad. Wow. And he adores us and he loves his kids and he invites us to ask. Well, let's get to asking then. Let's get to asking. Asking and expecting. Knowing that dad hears and answers our prayers. How's prayer going for you this morning? What are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Pray big, okay? God doesn't, doesn't, God doesn't want, to do, um, want to do just things for you. God wants to do things in you. Uh, the power of God unleashed through the Holy Spirit. It's not just God at work in the world. It's God at work in us. And you know what? If you're in Christ... You are changing. Uh, your thinking will change. Your desires will change. Your appetites will change. Your habits will change because the power of God is at work in you. Okay, this is your identity. Some of you say, well, I'm not a strong person. I know. It, it, it's, it's why the Holy Spirit is in you. There's the power. Some of you say, it seems I'm only strong to do bad that's right. And then you receive Christ and you get the Holy Spirit and now you have the strength to do good and to worship God and to love others and to be generous. That's the power of God in you to be strong. And I'll tell you one of the most beautiful things in this whole world is seeing people just flat out change and you can see it on their face. They change because the power of God is at work in them. So I don't want you to think that you need to change for God. I want you to know that God's power is available to change you if you're willing, if you're submissive, if you're wanting to join God in the work that he's doing in you. So let me ask, what's he trying to do in you right now? What's he trying to work on, change, empower, make new in you? I don't know what it is, but you do. Um, I, I want you to know that change is possible because the Spirit is powerful. Last one, R. See, the thing about acronyms is at least you know uh, wh where the preacher's wrapping up. Prayer is, is R, revealing. Uh, verse 21, glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever, amen. So let me just hammer that. It's not a personal, individual relationship with Jesus. It's about the family of God, all right? My 17-year-old Gracie, there, hey, how are you? She, um, she doesn't just have a personal relationship with me. She's, she's part of this whole family, so she can't just walk in and say, I just have a relationship with Dad. No, buddy, you're part of a family. We're all in this together. You got a mom and sister, so... You have a personal relationship with God, but it's not solely a personal relationship. You're also a Christian. You're part of a church. And so he's praying for the church. He's, he's talking to the church. He's encouraging the church to be the church. Does that sound familiar to anyone? No? Okay. Um, he ends this prayer perfectly with the glory of God. He starts it with the fatherhood of God. He ends it with the glory of God. 
You know, the Bible speaks of glory in our English Bible about 275 times. It's a massive theme of Scripture. And it means the, the splendor, the radiance, the beauty, the magnificence, the prominence, the preeminence, the worthiness, the superiority of God. And so when we pray, these questions are revealed. What is the glory in my life? Um, who do we live for? What do we live for? Why are we here? What are we doing? What's the point of it all? And it's to reflect the glory of God. But we have a massive glory problem, don't we? This whole world is addicted to self. It's all about me. It's all about my hurts. It's about my wants. It's about my needs, my income. It's about my convenience and my reputation. It's about me, me, me. No, it's not. It's why everybody's miserable. It's about the glory of God. Listen, when you live for the glory of God, you have joy because that's what you're made for. And when you're doing what you're made for, there's joy. Paul's single. He's in a jail cell. He's suffering to the glory of God. And there's always an opportunity to glorify God, even in your suffering. We talked about that last week. So if you ask the question, what will glorify God? You'll, you'll end up with a very different answer to most of the questions that you ask in life. But it'll always be the right answer. You know, church, what, what do we want Knack to be known for? I mean, there's a temptation, I suppose, that we'd be known as the hip church, as the relevant church, as, as the growing church, as uh, the church with the hot pastor, as, as the church with the best programs. My heart's desire is that we would really be known as, as that praying church, that we would be known as that church that gets on its knees and faces every adversity, every coronavirus, every death, every celebration by beginning with prayer and ending with prayer. And in the middle, there's prayer. May that be what Knack is known for. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for the good people of New Market Alliance Church. Lord Jesus, as we see the example of Paul who keeps praying for the church, help us to be continually praying for the church. It's good, it's good to pray for ourselves, Lord. It's good to pray for our friends and family. But it's really important that we don't forget to pray for the church family. So God, we thank you that we can say that you're our dad and we're your family. Help us to have hearts that are inclined in prayer towards one another. Help us not to see church as a business, but as a family. Lord Jesus, I thank you that right now the Holy Spirit is in us and that you're meditating for us. And that as we talk to the Father, our prayers go directly to him. And so we thank you for that and we rejoice in that and we we pray now in Jesus' good name.